us as women, I find that we have this, this gut feeling, you know, that gut feeling that, that intuition, that something is telling you inside, this isn't right, that something is not right. And you know, your body, your mind, your gut, your inner wisdom, it's all screaming at you. And yet we hear it, we see the red flags and we dismiss it. And I think us as women, we need to listen to that, that voice more. We need to trust ourselves and we need to listen to ourselves more. If something is a red flag, and that's even with mechanics, trucking in the real world, a toxic abusive relationship, we have to be able to actually listen to our inner voice more and be confident in it. It's, it's there to guide us and we, we have to stop ignoring that. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries, a community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Hey ladies, it's time to put your badass boss babe hat on. Head over to femcanic.com's resource page and create your personal listing. And your business listing if you have one of those too. No cost to you at all, just shameless self-promotion. Talent recruiters for jobs, radio, and TV gigs have leveraged this page to discover talent. Come on ladies. It's time to get your self-promotion on. Remember, femcanic.com, resource tab at the top, and click the Yes, I'm a Badass Woman. Nikki Dart is in the driver's seat today. She completed her automotive mechanics course in 2010. With this knowledge and experience, she has worked on her 1970 Dodge Dart Swinger, She's currently a big rig driver and shares her love for all things automotive on her social media platforms. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Nikki Dart in the hot seat or driver's seat today. How are you doing today, Nikki? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing well. We were just chatting before this, and you were sharing with me the amazing weather in the land up north in Canada, it was snow and freezing rain. It's a good old mixed precipitation that causes horrible driving conditions. Holy mackerel. And it's just like what I was telling you, the, the snow, I can totally get on board with that. The freezing rain just sucks. Freezing rain is not fun. It's not. I actually really enjoy driving in the snow. But then when you add the freezing rain, like, forget about it. It's too stressful. For real. I can't. <laughs> Black ice is no joke. That, no. That's just like a recipe for high car insurance. Absolutely. But we had tried to connect. Oh my gosh. Was it last year, maybe? I think Early it was. Year? Man. And life just happens sometimes, right? And I reached back out to you, checked in. I'm like, are you still interested? You're like, yes, let's do this. <laughs> we were able to connect finally. And, you know, I have I do my homework on anyone that I invite on to the show, and I am really impressed with how you represent women in the industry. And what was cool about it is not only are you a certified mechanic in Canada, but you're also a truck driver, an 18-wheeler truck driver, like... <laughs> Talk about, bound, you know, going to professions that are heavily male-dominated. Man, you didn't mess around there. No, I didn't. I went into mechanics for the love of, of cars, and uh, I did it. And then once that was done, I felt the need to, to try something else. I wanted to a new challenge. So I did the big rig, and I love it. I absolutely love it. In Canada, nonetheless, with snow yes. and everything. I, can't I know imagine. it. There, that, yes, there's the A. Yes, I got oh, no. it. I got it. <laughs> Woohoo. No, I I'm, I want to take a step back and mm -hmm. I want to learn a little bit about um I guess what even got you into mechanics or peaked in interest? Where did that where'd you catch the bug? I think it would have to be my father. 
So growing up, around the age, around eight or nine, he bought a 1974 Corvette. Now, the Corvette might not be my favorite body style of car, but it had a 350 modified. And I remember every time he would start it, it would make the entire house just shake and you would just smell the fumes. And for some reason, as a small child, that interests me. It just it piqued my interest. So I would always be bugging my dad to go for drives. And I have a feeling it, it just started from there. And then once I got my license, I'm like, well, I want to fix these. I want to buy a whole bunch of them. It just took off from there. Oh, man, it is. You know, the smell. The smell. It's, I wish they could bottle that up. It's like some people want the new car smell. Like, I, I want the old classic kill your brain cell smell. You <laughs> know old, what I mean? That old fumey smell. Oh, yeah. Love it, it. It, I I have no clue how many brain cells probably, you know, got killed when I was growing up because <laughs> I didn't walk away from that. That smelled wonderful to me. And I cleaned car parts and gasoline. Oof, probably yeah. not the safest or nope. best thing for a small child, but <laughs> I didn't care. I loved it. They're like, yes, I I will definitely clean car parts and gasoline for you, stepdad. <laughs> His name is Randall. <laughs> yeah, he, he always included me. But So it started with your dad. About how old were you? Um, I'm going to say around eight or nine is when it really started. Pretty young. So you'd yeah. go, go on joy rides. Mm-hmm. So as you progressed through that and you, you went on these joy rides, now – was your dad into fixing cars or is it his cars were already fixed or he did the work on them? Um, my dad's actually a truck driver, which is probably as well where I got that bug from. Um, but as for his cars, no, he doesn't. I don't even remember that young how he fixed them. But uh, at one point, the Corvette had had a repair and then he ended up having it sit in the garage for like four or five years. And then when I went into auto mechanics, I said, well, dad, let's, let's just fix the car. Like I'm learning to do this. Let's just do it together. How old were you then when you would have, um, kind of picked that up? Uh, I was around 20. I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, as a parent, if my child came to me and said, let's fix your car together the feeling I would get to have an opportunity like that, that it wasn't me going to my child. My child was coming to me. It, has your dad ever shared with you what that was kind of like or even maybe what that was like doing that with him for you? Well, in the present day, whenever like I would tell the story to friends or whatnot and he would be around to, to listen to it, he would always add in how how great it really was and, and how much we learned together, the bonding time. So I could see just based on his reactions how grateful he really was for not only the fact that we fixed a car, but the fact that we had all that bonding time together. And it really was great. How long did you guys work on that together then? It took us about five months. About five months? Yeah. I also had to take my time too because I was going through the course. So at certain points, like I didn't know suspension yet. So we had to wait until I get to that chapter in school. But uh, overall, it took five five months, and then we sent the Corvette to inspection because it was sitting for so long, so it needed an inspection. She passed the first time, and then him and I just enjoyed the car for the summer. What What did your uh, teacher or instructors think about this? Like, it's one thing to go study it and, p- quote-unquote, practice it in class. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a whole nother level. That wasn't just any car. That's a classic car as well. And I was so excited that once it got fixed I brought it to school to like show off and I mean it was cool everybody liked it the teachers liked it of course she decided to break down at one point at school but we were able to get it going and it was great it was really a good time when I hear stories about that where especially kids that are a little older now when I say older like teenage to 20 something kind of pausing and asking dad it's typically dad (laughs) But when it's mom as well, that actually shows an interest. It is just one of the coolest things that you can do in like moments to share with your parent. Absolutely. And I have such supportive parents, even like the truck driving. There was there was a part of my mom where she was a bit hesitant. Like, are you sure you want to go into this? Because, you know, it's a male dominated and it's a bit rougher than mechanics. And mm-hmm. but even if she didn't fully agree, she was super supportive. You know, it's it's interesting. There's the twenty something me 
I would have been like, wow, that's badass. That's cool, right? And then there's the parent in me. Mm -hmm. And thinking about my daughter doing that honestly would scare me. Because you're alone. It's it's not like you have, quote unquote, backup with you. No. Driving through the night, I imagine, in some instances. You're stopping at places. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to say is, is I understand where your mom's coming from. Wanting to support you fully, but also wanting to make sure you're safe and okay. <laughs> and, you know, before I started, I, I might have had opinions on, on her reservations, but after I got my license and after I went out in the real world and had a bit more of experience, I kind of understood where she was coming from. The real world is a little bit different than, you know, in your head, you're just, you're driving the big trucks, you're, you're driving, 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 but that, that's not really how the real world works. Yeah. So I completely understand though. Now, let me, let me backpedal just a little bit because mm-hmm. before you went and got your um, big rig license, you, as you were saying, you were in school you asked your dad, hey, why don't we work on the car? Let's get that, get your car running, get your vet running. So you completed your um, coursework and yeah. you ended up getting certified. But before we jump off that, were I always like checking in. Were you the only female in your class? Yes, I was. <laughs> before you even started day one of class, yeah. did you have a pretty good idea that you were probably going to be the only female yes or did you not really think about it I didn't think about it until probably about a week or so before I started and the thought crossed my mind and as soon as it crossed my mind it kind of just left I never really focused on it it wasn't really a an important detail for me Mm -hmm. once you started Mm -hmm. and you showed up in class and you started your coursework, did any of that change for you? Well, I still remember my very first day, the teacher was doing the attendance. And for some odd reason, he skipped over my name. So then at the end of it all, I basically had to put the focus on me. And that was complete. I I was really uncomfortable. And I mentioned this because the irony of it all was on my graduation day, the class was 22 students. At the end of the at the end of the course, there was four students that graduated in my particular class, right? And as they were calling the names on the stage, my name got skipped. Are you kidding me? Uh, yep, my name got skipped again. So I didn't really get called up to get my diploma. So that was like not a very good experience. What did they say when that happened? <sighs> I didn't even get a chance. For the graduation part, I didn't even get a chance to even confront my teacher about it. I mean, at that point, I was so flustered that, like, you know, you work so hard. You just, you want to have that moment. And it brought me right back to my very first day where he skipped my my name. And I don't even think that had anything to do with me being a woman. But it was the fact that the focus just kind of came on me again. And it was so uncomfortable. Yeah. But being the only girl in the class... At the beginning of the course, it really wasn't a big deal. Uh, I didn't think anything of it, and I thought nobody else thought anything of it. Towards midway of the course, uh, I overheard rumors that people in my class were starting about me being a, a girl and the fact that I'm only grad or I'm only passing the exams because of inappropriate things between me and my teacher. And it was like, you know, it's this, and not trying to be blunt and. Uh, but by inappropriate, they were spreading rumors about you like having sex or something with the teacher. Yep, they're basically saying that the only reason that I'm passing my exams is because I'm sleeping with the teacher. Right. And that came out of completely nowhere, by the way. I mean, I, I just. It bothered me. It bothered me. I'd be a liar if I said it didn't bother me. I had a period where it was like. It was eating at me that nobody was taking me seriously. But did you feel your te- like your instructor took you seriously? Absolutely, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Man, I, I just I I spend time in my interviews with women discussing this because I'm trying to understand different points of views and kind of 
try to walk a mile in other people's shoes, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And if I'm a teacher, what do I do? Like, do you think the teacher picked up on any of that from your male counterparts? I think towards the end, yes. I think they saw a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say the bullying because that sounds a little too harsher for what was going on, but I think they saw everything that was going on. Did they do anything or how did they handle that? That could have been my fault. I probably should have brought it up to the teachers more, but I was so focused on my schoolwork and I was just so focused on on continuing learning that I, I didn't want them to have any power. I didn't want them to see that it was bothering me. I didn't want to give them that satisfaction. So I just kind of dropped it and just continued with my work. Do you feel that the teachers should have done something? Yes. Do you think you should have had to bring it up? I mean, was it obvious enough where you had to be kind of an idiot not to sense or see something, <laughs> some of that going on? Or uh, Yeah, I would have to agree with you. I think, I, I think there probably should have been more done. But I think it's probably just a lot easier to just turn a blind eye, so to speak. That's so sad. It is. I, I just... Well, let me let me ask this question, Nikki. If you were to give teachers, instructors advice on what they could do or what they could have done differently to help you feel supported and safer and more comfortable throughout your coursework and in class, what would you recommend to them? I probably would have wanted one of my teachers to pull me aside away from the crowd, not in front of anybody, but just on my own one-on-one away from the crowd and genuinely ask, you know, is everything okay? Is is something going on? Just to, even to, to have someone to talk to or even someone to show a little bit of support or interest probably would have gave me a bit more confidence and made me feel just a bit better. Instead of just turning the blind eye, so I I would probably say just listen. You know what I mean? Listen to what's going on in your class. And if you really see or hear something going on, probably to take somebody aside solo, privately, and really ask them if something's going on. Because we might not have the confidence and we might not be able to just go and ask for that help. Like, I know for me, speaking for myself, when I was in mechanic school, I didn't have the confidence that I have today. I didn't have the voice and that power that I had today. And I really wish I did, but I didn't. What 20-something does? That's part of, like, growing up in life experience. Absolutely. I I just, it leaves me speechless and kind of frustrated. And, And as I sit here, I try to put myself in the instructor's shoes as well. You hear rumors about him favor favoring you because of sexual favors or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, what if I pull her aside and talk to her one on one? That may increase the rumor mill. Maybe it, not that that makes it right, but I'm just trying to think through all of this. Like there has to be a way to address this. But the common thing that always seems to happen is turn to bl- turn a blind eye to it. It is. It's the easy route. Ah, oh, man. I just, there has to be a better way. And, and there, there is. The thing is, in my mind, if, if we approached uh, a teacher about this, and I understand what you're saying. If you were to pull me aside and, and want to speak on me one-on-one, wouldn't that increase the chances of, of some of the, the gossip? But if I feel as if we would have put the attention more on those who are spreading the rumors and spreading the, the gossip, in my mind, that's giving them the power. Those, those types of individuals, they're not, they're not, like if a teacher goes up to them and, and speaks, they're not just going to shut their mouth afterwards. They're not going to learn their lesson and just never gossip again. It's not, you know, there's, there's different types of people in the world. So in my opinion, just don't give them the power. Don't give them the time of day. And for the teacher to pull me aside and genuinely ask me if I'm okay, I think that would be the winning because I'm there to learn. I'm there to, to genuinely, 
for the good intentions. Whereas some of those people, like the people who are gossiping, they weren't there. They didn't graduate. They were there just to fill their time. So the teacher shouldn't even bother giving them any sort of attention. That's just my opinion on it. I see exactly where you're coming from. Just don't give them the power. I want to see more instructors in educational institutions take more ownership around creating a learning environment that is truly welcoming and safe for everyone. That's well said. Everyone. Absolutely. And that's, that's ultimately all I want is for people to have a shot pursuing something that they genuinely love without worrying about if they're safe. You finished... I, there was one other thought I had, and I can't... It popped in and popped out of my head when I was listening to you talk. And I'm like... And it had to do with, like, the voice. You said that so well. Like, I didn't have a voice. I, I know. It, oh, I didn't have the confidence. Yeah, and I, I remember what it is now. When women, mm-hmm. especially when we're in our 20s, and we're in a male-dominated industry or class or fill-in-the-blank where we are the minority by far. The last thing we want to do is stick out more. <laughs> oh, I agree. I agree. Right? Like, that's where I feel like the the ownership and the true responsibility really falls on the instructor or teacher's shoulders. I really believe that because being the minority in the class is already hard enough. You brought up a good point because I have, like, you stirred memories now. And I have a feeling a a good part of why I might not have spoken up when I should have is because I didn't want that extra attention. And I didn't want people to say, well, look, now she's acting up. Now she's got a problem with everyone. Now she's getting the teachers involved. You know, like you said, it's more attention. It's more focus when you don't want to be, you you don't want to stand out. I didn't want to stand out. I didn't want to be one of the guys because I'm not, but I didn't want to stand out. I just wanted to do my work like everybody else. That's so well put, Nikki. And it's it's tough, isn't it? It is. Like, how? And it really shouldn't be tough. It really shouldn't be. I mean, how do we navigate it? We, <laughs> we bring up things that, quite frankly, just aren't right. Nope. And then it's us overreacting or You're the making a big deal out of something that shouldn't. And then it's we sit quietly and then. Yeah, because we're going to be we're going to be labeled as oversensitive. Right. Right. It just it's like, what do you do? It's tough to navigate. It, really it is. for sure is tough to navigate. Mm-hmm. Now, once you were done with that program, yeah. where did life take you after that then? I had a job in a garage. I didn't I didn't really like it too much because I didn't like the financial part of the garage. I didn't that whole it was a mess. I, it was just a mess. And it, it didn't it didn't thrive with me anymore. When you said financial, what do you mean by that? I'm trying to understand. I I felt like I'll be blunt about it. I just felt like the garage that I was working at was kind of just scamming people. It was it was a, a money a money grab kind of situation, and I, I didn't feel comfortable anymore. It it didn't sit well with your values. It didn't. No, it really did not sit well. Got it. Now, how long were you there? Uh, eight months. Where did you go from there then? From there, I did the truck driving. <laughs> Got it. So you shifted gears then. No pun intended. No pun. I need the little like <laughs> fun sound, but. When you were at that shop for eight months, the interview process, Mm -hmm. when you started looking for a job, what was that process like for you? It was, I think, the second place that I had given my resume to. And at the beginning, it was just a, I didn't get any bad vibes. Uh, I was just an employee. Like the interview process was normal, like every other type of job. Uh, Nothing, nothing looked bad. Nothing seemed bad. I didn't have any bad vibes. But once I got into it, I've had a 
few mishaps. I've had customers asking my boss, is there a male technician? Which is really odd in this day and age that people would even say that. I, I don't understand. How, how did your boss handle that? He kicked the, the client out. <laughs> well, that was cool. It was. I, I was appreciative of that. But that really, like, it struck a chord with me for a while. Yeah, yeah. for sure. In were you the only mechanic or were there other mechanics in that shop as well? There were other mechanics, but I was the only uh, lady. Like, how did they react to you coming in? Was it no big deal? Was it? Uh, the majority of them was a big deal, but I had one that was like on my team. So I was just, I, at least I had somebody to speak to, but the rest of the guys in the shop were kind of uncomfortable or they gave off that uncomfortable vibe with me. I'm not really sure why. Yeah, it was it was horrible. It wasn't a good experience. Wow. Mm-hmm. So they just wouldn't talk to you then? No, not at all. <laughs> weird. It is weird. Huh. How, how many bays did you guys? Uh, there was five bays. So decent size. Yeah, I mean. about There was about six other mechanics. Yeah, you would definitely see each other. Absolutely. It was small enough that we're like a little family, right? Right, right, right. No, they never warmed up to me. Huh. <laughs> yep. So you were there for eight months. Then then I applied for a trucking school that was about an hour and a half away. Got accepted, but that was about an eight, another eight months of uh, interviews. And then you had to do two exams to see because was, there was a lot of applicants in a small class. So it was a super long process. But I was still doing the mechanics on my own. I never gave that up. I just didn't want to do it as a day-to-day job. Understandable. Because I found, yeah, I found it was, it was taking away that spark for me personally in my experience. I'm trying to piece this together. At what point did you buy Daisy Dart? Ooh, Daisy. I bought Daisy in 2014. So I just finished trekking. So you just, so that was kind of like the... Uh, maybe you're present to yourself in a way? Sort of, yeah, I'd say so. Nice. Now, (laughs) share with the listeners, Mm -hmm. what is Daisy Dart? Daisy Dart is my 1970 Dodge Dart. She's got her original Slant 6 with uh, her 904 automatic transmission. She still has her original yellow paint. Uh, She was originally a California car. She was purchased by an elder lady, elderly lady, and she managed to find her way over here to the car. And I bought it online. And she's been my baby ever since. You're in Quebec. Yes. Did you buy it from the lady in California? No. She, her name was Florence, and she passed away in 2004. A month before she passed away, she had sold the car for, to a gentleman also in California. From mm-hmm. there, he sold it to a gentleman in Quebec, mm-hmm. and that's that's who I bought it from. So I'm the fourth owner. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's way cool. And it's back to being a lady owner, which I adore. That is outstanding. And Daisy Dart's a little bit of a celebrity in her own right, right? <laughs> I like to think so, yeah. She got featured on a magnet for Rock Auto, correct? Oh. That was such an amazing day when I got that. Yes, she's there. Every on Rock Auto, when you purchase a Rock Auto, you always get a, a little collector magnet series. And it's you can send in uh, your picture to try to get on there. And I just did it as a, you know, what, whatever. Let's just see what happens. Not thinking anything of it. And sure enough, she's on a magnet. She's a celebrity. I love it. <laughs> That's <laughs> outstanding. When you bought that, how old were you? Around 24, 25? Around 24, 25 years old. That was kind of like the pat yourself on the back, Nikki. You did a good job. Let's let's buy this cool Dodge Dart, 1970 Dodge Dart. I think my cousin drove one of those. Oh, yeah. I think that was his first car. Every time I go to a car show, I always have people telling me, oh, this was my first car. This was my first car. And I love it. I love hearing all these stories. I think it was like a hunter green, like an ar- army slash hunter green. And don't they have, and I remember riding with them one time and 
to turn the dimmers and brights to flip back and forth. It was a floor button. Yes, the high beams on the floor, yes. Yeah, and I remember him pushing. I'm like, oh, that looks fun. I want to do that. I love that. But, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a Dodge Dart. Now that I, and that just, like, hit me. It just I'm going to totally hit him up and ask him, I'm like, what was your first car, Andy? <laughs> I think it was a Dodge Dart. That's awesome. But I may be wrong. But I'm going to find out, and I will let you know. How, do, how does that sound? Nikki? Let me know. I'm so curious now. I am too. <laughs> but it, moving along here. So you went the truck driving route and then you went to truck driving school. Yes. Was that a similar experience as the mechanics school or was it different? No, it was a very similar experience, unfortunately. <laughs> Did you find it was harder? Not from a content perspective, but from an acceptance and kind of um, I just just feeling comfortable in, during the coursework? Well, the school part itself, um, I had a few mishaps and a few uh, situations, but I found that that was somewhat similar to the mechanic school. But when we're talking real world experience, I found that the trucking world in the real world was a lot more difficult harsh to me more about that what do you what do you mean by that in my experience i found that it was harder to be accepted in the real world as a a lady driver there were instances where i would feel incredibly uncomfortable uh driving at nights uh when i would go to uh, a port and there's just people around that really don't give me good vibes and like you said I'm by myself I don't have protection it, it it's a different different experience and it was a little harsher what did you do in those scenarios like you're getting bad vibes you're the only female and mm-hmm. I'm I'm making an assumption here based on pictures that I've seen but you don't look like a very big woman no I'm I'm tiny <laughs> I'm like, tiny how tall are you Nikki I'm 5'6", but I'm very small-framed. You're very petite, yeah. Yes. <laughs> How did you handle it? And I'm not familiar with Canadian laws at all. Mm-hmm. Can you carry, like, I don't know, pro- anything to protect yourself? You know what? Nope. Because in Canada, you can't. I can't have mace. I can't have pepper spray. I'm not, it's not really legal. <laughs> So, like, here in the United States, you can get a conceal and carry license Mm -hmm. and carry a gun. Mm -hmm. You can't have mace. You can't have a gun. You can't have pepper spray. You, I don't even know. It's mace mace and pepper spray, the same thing. I don't even know. But Give or take, yeah. You can't have anything like that. No, it's not legal. (laughs) But basically what I did in those scenarios were... Never showed my my true emotions. So if I was uncomfortable or if I was fearful, just put the poker face on. Don't show it. Do what you got to do and get out. Just don't don't focus on anything and just get out. Have you ever taken like any self defense classes or anything like that? Nope, never. I probably should have. <laughs> I probably should have. Wow. Because yeah. your dad does this for a living. Did he give you any advice or did he share any concerns when, because obviously well, he has seen things because how, how long has he been in the industry? Uh, I think around 20 years now. So he has seen a few things. Yeah, he knows. <laughs> wow. Did he say anything to you or? You know, I think, I think when it comes to my dad, I think he, he knows the character that I have and I'm able to take care of myself, so to speak. I'm. I'm not loud, but you know, I'm, I'm capable now. And I think he kind of assumed that I would be okay in the real world, that I can handle it and I can take care of myself. And I don't think he might've seen that side of the trucker world being a a man. Maybe he just, it's different when you're a woman and others might not see completely what we might have to go through. It could be that, but he didn't seem all that, that worried. Like my mom. (laughs) It would be challenging 
for me to get behind my daughter being a truck driver. Yeah, I understand that. No, no doubt about it. Surely out of fear. Like, I just want to know she's okay. <laughs> You know what I mean? And there's safety in numbers type of thing. Absolutely. When you're a truck driver, there is no no numbers in the female's favor. (laughs) No. And I didn't really, like you said, I'm I'm not a a large person. I'm very small. And sometimes that did make me feel uncomfortable because, like you said, I can't defend myself, right? Against someone double my size, it's forget about it. It's... It is what it is, right? One of the things that um, in the pre-interview form, I always ask folks, what's something challenging that you've been through? And you actually ran into back problems. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about that? Because that, that happened kind of in between all of this, right? Yep, it did. So in... Late 2013, I was rewiring a car under the dash and I was in some sort of pretzel complicated position and I must have turned the wrong way and I ended up herniating one of my discs in my back. Isn't that crazy how yeah. that can happen? And, and you were in your 20s. Yeah. Right? You're and in I, I 20s didn't, I didn't have happened. I didn't have any back problems. I was I was fit. I was fine. And all it took was one wrong movement. That's mind-blowing to me. And it, it's, it's not so bad that I need surgery because I've heard all the horror stories with the surgery and I just don't want to do it. So mm-hmm. I ended up doing several months of physio. And I actually just did that last year because I was really, really wanting to take the engine out of my dart. Mm-hmm. And I knew with my back the way it was, it was I wasn't going to be able to do it. And I didn't want to give that job to somebody else because A, it's my car, it's my baby. And B, I know how to do it. I can do this. And I wanted to prove it to myself again that I can do this. So I did several months of physio. I got my back as strong as it could be. And sure enough, I was able to do it at least. That's awesome. Yeah. Knock on wood. Knock, <laughs> knock, knock. Um, nothing like that has ever happened to my back. But I know of it, and when you talk about herniated discs, that forces a lifestyle change. Yes, it does. What kind of changes did you have to make? Like, literally, one day, no herniated disc. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow, herniated disc. How did that change your life? Well, it's like basically running full speed and then coming to like an abrupt stop. And you have have to like relearn how to walk at that speed, like super slow. So as much as it didn't stop me, it, it did slow me down. To this day, it still has slowed me down. Um, I do wear my back brace. There's, there's times where even if my cars are broken, even if I really want to go out there and work on my car, my back is just not going to let me today. So I just, I pause. And that does at times... At times I felt trapped in my own body. And I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. I felt like I was, you know, at the time 25, you know, in my 20s. And and I have all these ideas, all these things I want to do, all these things. And my body was like, no, you're, you're not going to do that today. You can't do it today. And I know I could have been so much worse off. And I'm super f- grateful that it was just a herniated disc. But at the same time, it, it was a change. And it was having to, to relearn how to move your body, relearn. Like even now, if I want to change my tires, I have to do it a certain way. And there's times where somebody's got to lift the tires for me because I'm not going to do it. It's not a good back day. You had shared with me that you actually went through a period of depression after you herniated your disc and you were trying to really relearn how to live your your life a new way at the time um i really didn't have much support uh even emotional support uh i was in a relationship that in my opinion was quite toxic that left me with i guess you could say a a little bit of a depressive period uh I did go and try medications. I did anti-anxiety medications, antidepressants. Nothing was really, nothing was really working. Um, 
So I went through a, a really, I would say three years, <laughs> which sounds horrible now, but three years uh, of basically kicking myself even lower than I could possibly go in my mind. Having a toxic relationship destroy me and then having my back destroy me. It, you got to a point where you reached rock bottom. And then one day you're like, this can be so much better. I could do so much better. This It doesn't have to be this way. And from there, I just said, okay, well, I'm going to get better. My back's going to get better. I'm going to do the physio. Uh, the toxic relationship is no longer serving me. So I'm going to rid myself of that. And in 2020 now, I look back and I'm in so much better of a place now. I'm, I am. I want to kind of back up and one, I want to applaud you for your willingness to share that. I've, I've talked to other women and I think sometimes hearing that other women go through these challenges normalizes all of us. Does yeah, that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And sometimes we just want to know that we're not alone or that it didn't just happen to me, or, <laughs> hey, something's wrong with me because I was depressed, or I had anxiety that I just couldn't get my arms wrapped around and it would get away from me, or I was in a toxic, abusive relationship and I didn't get out of it. And, you know, I was in a relationship that was very toxic for me. Mm -hmm. And you get to a point where some friends and family would ask questions like, why did you do that? Or mm -hmm. why were you with that person so mm -hmm. long? And I guess for me, and I don't know if this was your experience, Nikki, it, people need to know that that's not helpful. <laughs> it's not. We are already beating ourselves up enough over it. You ask me why I stayed in the relationship so long or why I did X in that relationship. Hmm. That is hurting more me more than it's helping me. And if you really want to be an advocate for me, you don't ask questions like that because it's a question we're constantly asking ourselves. And I don't know if you have this kind of, same feeling about it but we're already kicking ourselves in the ass right we don't really need to be asked questions that like you said we're already asking ourselves we're already beating ourselves up over this and i think to be able to have a safe place with like-minded people to be able to actually talk about things like this i mean i don't even think i've spoken about this ever or since ever no i haven't it's a tough topic because I don't know about you, Nikki, but I have shame around it. I was just going to say, you know, it's not something I'm proud of. It's not something that I, I, I feel confident and, and joyful discussing. But at the same time, it it happened and it it did make me become a stronger person. Right. I mean, you do learn from it. Absolutely. And, and I think that the toughest part for me, and again, this may not have been a, your experience, but the toughest part for me is I've always considered myself a strong, independent woman. Mm -hmm. You know, I look back at that and wonder, how could this have happened to me? Right. And just to be clear, there's abusive relationships can look many different ways. Yes. And there's the physical abuse Mm -hmm. That's all abuse is terrible. It is. No question about it. But if you are physically abused, you could go file a police report. Mm -hmm. And they take pictures of bruises or you have broken bones. All of it's terrible. When someone is a narcissist <laughs> or a manipulator <laughs> or. The, the gaslighting, I mean, those types of things are so, so hard. 
to explain to anyone to the point that, yeah. and again, this is my experience, so I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, Nikki. You you have your own experience, and we all kind of have our own experiences. But it, it is so challenging to talk to anyone because you, I felt so lonely because I felt like I was constantly being judged because people didn't understand it. Yep, 100%. Because they're real good at putting on a facade. Absolutely. That's what they do. And and it was so, so hard for me. It's isolating. It, it is incredibly isolating. It's incredibly and, and it is isolating. so hard to, it, it, I, I can't even describe it. Like, and, and we talked a little bit about this, but it is easy to slip into a depression. Oh, gosh. When you are coming out of a relationship like that, because there's whether they're it's a toxic relationship or not, it's what you knew, yeah. and it still is a change. You said something that really sparked something in me. You said you knew, and I want to I want to comment on that. Us as women, I find that we have this this gut feeling. You know that gut feeling that that intuition that. Something oh, yeah. is telling you inside, this isn't right, that something is not right. And you know, your body, your mind, your gut, your inner wisdom, it's all screaming at you. And yet we hear it, we see the red flags, and we dismiss it. And I think us as women, we need to listen to that, that voice more. We need to trust ourselves and we need to listen to ourselves more. If something is a red flag, and that's even with mechanics tracking in the real world, a toxic abusive relationship, we have to be able to actually listen to our inner voice more and, and be confident in it. You know what I mean? It's, it's there to guide us, and we, we have to stop ignoring that. And yet it's so hard, isn't it? Because at that point, our confidence is taken away. I speak for myself. I, didn't, I, I had no confidence after, afterwards. I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust my decisions. So whenever my voice or my inner voice was saying, hey, Nikki, red flag, red flag. No, you don't know any better. I mean, I was told I didn't know any better. So, I mean, I don't know any better. You start believing it. You do. And and people are like, well, you know you're not like that. Why did you even believe anything other people said? It, it's not so much, well, you know, he said that, so it's true. It's not like that. It It's conditioning over time that it ends up, completely warping your own image of yourself it is and, and it's not one thing no it's a lot not. of times it's passive or undercurrent things and then it's mm -hmm. it is so incredibly difficult because on the outside looking in it seems so obvious and so simple yeah right and, and it's just not and like you said you can't talk to anybody because it's it they don't they don't get it so you, you just isolate yourself and that makes you end up feeling worse. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. this, when this all went down, uh, after I had left, I ended up having a year and a bit of therapy. Good for you. Yeah, of actual therapy just to, to help me get through. I'm giving you the virtual high five right now, <laughs> Nikki, because we all need to hear that. There is there is no shame and there is absolute strength in going and getting help. Absolutely. Get get help. Get counseling. Go to counseling. I go to counseling weekly. <laughs> it, Why that's not? amazing. It it's it helps. It and it does. Know, if, if I can give one advice, it would be never let anyone or anything dim your light. Never, never give that power away to allow anybody, I don't care who it is, anybody to dim the light inside of you. And that's, I feel like I almost lost my light. It got to a point where I, I didn't want to work on cars. I didn't want to, I didn't feel confident working on cars. I was told I wasn't good at it. So forget it. I don't want to work on cars anymore. And that's not me. Anybody who really knows Nikki, that's not Nikki. And I think we all have something to bring to the table of life. We all have that, that light inside of us. And I, 
I really, you know, just, just never allow anything or anybody to dim that light. And find your tribe. Absolutely. Uh, there's times where I feel my light flickering. Mm-hmm. And when you have a strong tribe, they they keep the gases rolling to keep it lit and until you can figure it out. Absolutely. And uh, Nikki, how did you, you were in that relationship for three years? Five years. Five years. Yes. Sorry, I lowballed <laughs> that. <laughs> Five years. Yes. If you were to tell other women out there that when they listen to this, their spidey sink- senses start tingling, their they gut feeling where they start like, man, I, I know what Nikki's talking about, that gut feeling. Mm-hmm. And I feel it. I know it. But they're in that spot where they feel isolated. They're continually being told, no, you're not good. You're only good for this. Mm-hmm. But yet family members are like, oh, I love him or I love her or whatever the case may be. They're great people. Right? <laughs> right? That happens. Right? What? What do you tell them? Like, how do you, how do you help them move to that? And ultimately, they have to do it for themselves. But sometimes we hear things and something just clicks. What would you tell them? Well, one thing that, one piece of advice that someone had said, it's super simple, but it, it never actually dawned on me when any of this was happening, especially at the beginning of the relationship. When you're around somebody, pay attention to how you feel. Pay attention to how you feel inside around that specific person. And that should tell you something. You're not supposed to feel insecure, unloved, worried, stressed out, not good enough. These are not things that should be happening from somebody you care about. Also, it does get better. It can get better. And I speak, and I'm speaking purely on an individual. I'm not talking about the relationship. I'm talking the relationship you have with yourself. You need to fill yourself up with so much love, self love, and so much confidence that there's no room inside you to have somebody else come and pop you and to dim that light that I spoke about. And I feel like if I would have accepted myself more, loved myself more, and really, and I mean really love who I was, I don't think I would have went down that road because I was an insecure person. I, I was lacking confidence, you know, and I, I must have given my power away. And I gave it to the wrong person. And, and that's when the whole snowballing effect happened. And, but be really comfortable with you, who you are. Love yourself. Respect yourself so much that there's no room inside you to accept any kind of bad behavior. Well said. Well said, my friend. And don't be afraid to go get help. Don't be afraid to speak up. And even if you speak... There is no shame in that. Zero. And I don't even understand why there's shame. It's it's to better yourself. And if you do speak up, because this happened to me, so I'll, I'll speak on experience. If you do speak up, and you happen to speak to the wrong person, and that person makes you feel like you're in the wrong again, like you're overreacting, do not let it control your mind. Speak up, speak up, speak up. Find someone else. And, yeah. and I, I want to be clear, too. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy. It, it's, it's, oh my gosh. I think... Out of all the decisions I've made in my life, including the schooling, everything, that that was the hardest for me. It was the hardest. Yeah. Yep. And what's crazy about it is it's looking back, and again, I don't know about you, Nikki, I, it, it was the healthiest decision I ever made for myself, but it was the hardest. I, you know, I look back. When it should have seemed simple and obvious, but 
it still was hard. It was extremely hard. It's just, why don't you just break up? I don't know. It's not that easy. It's not. You're, you're especially for, from, I speak for myself, when I, I really lacked confidence, you really don't feel good enough. You don't feel like you're even capable of just breaking up and doing your own thing. Like, no. Yeah. But that's, it's not the case. You're, we're all, we're all so capable of so much more than we think. And I know that for myself, like seeing what I accomplished since I left is, I never would have thought I'd I'd be doing everything I'm doing. Never. But it was literally the best thing that I ever did for myself. It's a beautiful thing. It It is. is a beautiful thing. And I think this is the perfect segue into the red line round where I think we might be able to build upon this conversation even further. The red line round is five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to it. Whatever pops into your head is the right answer. Are you ready? Okay. Yes, I'm ready. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? It's going to sound so cheesy, but just to prove to myself that I can do it. And I don't even know if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. I just wanted to, I wanted to be able to do it. I wanted to prove to myself I can do whatever it is that I want to do. I, I think it's simple and beautiful. Thank you. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck on a job? And that happens often. <laughs> so I internet everything. I Google, I YouTube, and there's answers everywhere. I have a bunch of friends that I can message either Facebook, Instagram, and they're all super helpful with car questions. There's YouTube, there's there's forums. I'm I'm very rarely stuck because I can usually find the answer somewhere. Nikki, what excites you most about what you do? I would say the personal accomplishments. It's proving to myself again and again that I can do things that at one point in time I really thought I couldn't. What is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in the industry when you feel stuck or discouraged? A personal habit. I meditate a lot when I'm feeling overwhelmed. I do. It calms me down. Um, A lot of times too when I'm feeling overwhelmed, especially with the industry, I have uh, a few good friends that I can speak with that understand me and understand the difficulties that I have with the the car world and and people can really help. Friends are are very important. And finally, what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades industry? Never let outsiders cause you any doubt about yourself you are fully capable of doing anything regardless if it's a man industry or not and never ever allow anybody or anything to dim your light i think i've heard that before (laughs) i love that nikki where and how can people follow the daisy dart journey Daisy Dart's journey is on my Instagram. I also hashtag her Daisy Dart. So if if you want to just search, not my profile, but just Daisy Pictures, you could hashtag Daisy Dart. You can also find me at Daisy Dart on both Facebook and Instagram. Nikki, thank you so much for being in the driver's seat today and being willing to kind of pull back the curtain, be vulnerable and let us into your world a little bit so maybe we can learn from your experiences and just know, hey, I'm not alone. Thank you very much, Nikki. And thank you so much for inviting me on here. It's, it's an awesome opportunity to be able to speak to other ladies in the industry. The honor is mine, truly. Hi, I'm Nikki Dar. I'm a certified auto technician and a big rig driver, and I'm a femme cannon. Salut, je suis Nikki Dart, je suis une mécanicienne et un chauffeur des camions. Et moi, je suis une femme canique. 
Cheyenne Ruther is in the driver's seat next. She grew up on an acreage outside a tiny town in Alberta, Canada. Very poor and humble roots. This once young tomboy turned model, shop owner, and TV personality dives into the twists and turns of her career. She used her career and work ethics to provide the best life possible for her daughter as her sole provider. Keep in mind, she has done all of this before the age of 30. Be sure to tune in next week. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribed for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?